0: Wow, what a beautiful group. Hi, everybody. I'm Pauline. Pauline. I'm a grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon and Alateen. Timer up here says it's 7.33, so around 9.30 tonight we'll be done. (laughs) I'm hoping that the wedding reception next door will provide sound effects at appropriate moments tonight. (laughs) Otherwise, I'll be writing them a letter when I get over there. Because um, I'm planning on crashing the wedding since I'm all dolled up. I mean, after all, you got to work with what you got. So uh, first things first, I do want to uh, just pause for a moment and thank Leary for the invitation and the committee. It's for me a true honor and privilege and humbling to get to be of service in this way for a program that has transformed my life. And so I'm, I'm truly thankful for the opportunity. And I'm also grateful to Emily for being such a wonderful host this weekend. It's been wonderful to get to know you. And thanks, Ann, for sharing lunch with us today. That was very nice of you to, to join us. And a thanks to my other half who was willing to drive over with me from northern Kentucky. So I appreciate uh, all those people and, and getting to uh, get here this weekend. So uh, what I'm supposed to do is share a little bit about what it was like how I got here and what my life is like today. Well, I want to start off and just let you know where I am right now today. We just finished a recovery countdown and this is my favorite time of the year because it's such beautiful colors and the oranges and the browns and the leaves. It's all so beautiful. There's one thing that just really I need your sympathy for tonight. My other half, celebrated 24 years Tuesday, just a few days ago. I don't have 24 years until November the 12th. So in this two-week time period between last Tuesday and November the 12th, I tend to hear things like, you know that wouldn't bother you so much if you had a little more time in the program. You know, maybe you ought to work your program just a little bit harder right now to catch up with me. So any sympathy that you can give me, I'm sure my heart will appreciate it. You all just lied to me. I can tell. So, uh, but, but that's a good thing. You know, I'm grateful that the other half and I get to have fun in recovery Because I don't know about your experience, but my experience prior to getting into the program was not filled with a laughter that came from my belly that felt good. My idea of a good laugh was seeing just how hard I could turn the knife in and turn it slowly. That's where I got my kicks. So, here's how we got to that place. I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home. My mom and dad occasionally drank, but... I saw my father drunk exactly once, my sisters and brothers, you know, everybody fooled around a little bit with alcohol and drugs, yours truly included. But none of us have developed alcoholism. In 1978, my father had a heart attack. And that night we all rallied around my mom and she said, you know, you kids go scatter. She wanted some time by herself. And so I went over to a bar. A girlfriend came and picked me up. She said, let's, you know, just go veg and, you know, have a glass of wine and sit and you can kind of share what's been going on with your day and your, your dad. So I walked into this bar and standing behind the bar was this blonde guy, shirt sleeves rolled up, blue jean vest, blue jean pants. Ah, <sighs> he looked up at me. And he said, I know you from somewhere. <laughs> now what my head said, that is the oldest line in the books. In real life, he did know me from somewhere. My sister, one of my, my oldest sister, lived in the top floor of a duplex with her roommate. And my husband-to-be, he and his roommate, lived in the first floor of a duplex And Mike remembered me from when I was 16. Be still my heart. He remembered me. So we started doing some casual dating. I'd go to the bar and meet him and um, wait till after he got done working. And so a typical night would be I'd go over to the bar, and around 2-ish, because the bars in Kentucky close around 2.30, Around 2 o'clock, he'd start tossing them back. And I didn't think too much of it, honestly. I, you know, the college crowd and social crowd that I hung with, everybody had a few. So what I did notice, though, was that when he got done working and we went out, that's when we would have those heart-to-heart conversations was around two thirty, three o'clock in the morning after he'd had a few. A few months later he invited me out for our first date. On our first date, we went to Clifty Falls State Park in Madison, Indiana. Mike, myself, and a 12-pack of Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. We sat on the riverbank, and I counted every beer that he drank. I had one. I'll let you do the math. On the way home, he told me that we were going to get married our very first date. Now on our very first date, when I got home, my parents lived in a shotgun house. It was the hall with the living room, the dining room, and and the kitchen. And there was a certain protocol when you got in the house about which lights needed to be left on and what the door needed to be locked. And things were out of kilter. I didn't understand what was quite going on. And I walked into the house and I walked in the kitchen and there's my mom and dad holding hands praying over a votive candle. I said, like, you know, what's going on? And they said, "Um, did you know that he's divorced? And I told my first lie right then and there to support him in his alcoholism, what later came to be his alcoholism. I looked at my mom and my dad and I said, get off my back. You think I'm marrying the guy? even though I had just said yes on our very first date. (laughs) So two years later he proposed and my parents were not happy. We sat down and told my mom and dad that we were going to get married and my mother said, no way are you getting married, not unless you get the approval of your maternal grandma. I'm like, okay, this is no problem. As far as I was concerned, this was just another item to be checked off the list for this project. So off we go to Grandma's house. And we sit down and we talk to Grandma and tell her what's going on. And she says, okay, you know, she looks at Mike and she says, Mike, do you love her? And Mike said, yes. Very good answer, by the way. (laughs) She looked at me and she said, Pauline, do you love him? And I said, yes, I do. And she said, well, then, by golly, there's going to be a wedding. And I said, oh, oh, oh. Oh, and then she said, break out the bourbon. There's going to be a wedding. And I said, wait a minute. Before we have any cocktails, please call 431-2954 and tell my mom that there's going to be a wedding. So my mom didn't necessarily like him. She thought he had issues and was bringing baggage into the relationship. Well... I didn't know what she was talking about. So we got married, and uh, we had a, a pretty wedding, pretty honeymoon, came home from the honeymoon, sat down on his folks' farm is where we settled. And I have to tell you, I grew up in Covington, Kentucky, an urban city. Now all of a sudden, I'm out on a black Angus cow farm. So for those of you who remember Green Acres, and for those of you who don't, (laughs) Google it, it was that sort of experience for me. I had no clue what was going on. I I remember the first time the stove stopped working. And uh, I was like, what's wrong? How come there's no gas, no flame? And Mike says, did you change the tank? And I'm like, change the tank? In Covington, where I grew up, you turn the knob and you get a flame. There's no turning tanks or anything. So it was really an exposure to something that I had never been exposed to. So I learned about that. I learned how to uh, clamp boys. Oh, yeah, I like that. I'm like, bring all those boys over. Line them all up. I'll clamp them all. Oh, yeah. That was fun as far as I was concerned. That was good for me to do on an angry day. So anyway, we settled in at the farm, and that very first day when we got home, we had all the excitement and we opened all the presents, and then I started crying. And he said, what's the matter? And I said, I looked at him and I said, I want to go home. I do not know what I'm doing here. I think I was in love with the idea of being married. I had no clue how to be a partner in a relationship. No clue at all. So we lived on that farm, and I noticed things did not go according to Pauline's perfect plan, my PPP. (laughs) So I noticed things didn't work right. For instance, he would go to uh, work, and then he just wouldn't come home. I thought that was rather odd, because I had grown up with a father who came home every day. Then we had dinner and we did dishes and homework and chores. That was just kind of the life I had. But now I'm married to a guy who just doesn't show up. And I didn't know what that was all about. And so it became something that I needed to do. You know, another part of my perfect plan. It was just, it was an inconvenience. It was just something I needed to work out. I do need to tell you that even as a little kid, I was always the director. Whenever we did games, I was always the one who set up the games. Whenever we had little plays in the neighborhood, I directed and had a starring role. <laughs> and even in grade school, when I was in classes that were all girls and we had to do the nativity story, I always played Joseph because I was the tallest one. <laughs> and I knew that once we got to the hotel, it'd be, or we'd, you know, we'd get to Bethlehem and I'd go marry. <laughs> No place here. Had you listened to me, we would have found a place to stay. (laughs) That's just the attitude I had. So I figured Mike was just a project, and what he needed was some channeling. He needed to be guided. He needed some direction, some cajoling, the right words, said in just the right way, with just the right emotion played, Ah, an Academy Award winning performance is about to start. And so I spent the next 12 years trying to get him to fit in to Pauline's perfect plan. We left the farm and we moved to a house in a suburb, halfway between his folks and my folks. And we set up a house, we were going to have a big house, we were going to have children, and we were both working, you know, goal, goal centered, however, He was still not coming home. In retrospect, I recognize what was beginning to happen. So when I sit in AA meetings, I hear people talk about their obsession with drinking. My obsession was with him. So here's what a typical night was like. He'd call up about five o'clock and he'd say, I'm gonna go to a business meeting. Now I soon learned, because I'm not a big dummy, I learned that business meeting meant I'm gonna go out and drink. So he'd call and say he's going to a business meeting, and that he'd be home at six thirty, maybe seven. So then at seven o'clock, when he wasn't home, I'd call the bar. The bartender would answer the phone and I'd say, Is Mike there? I'd hear the bartender muffle the phone and say, hey, Mike, are you here? (laughs) And then I'd hear Mike say, no, I'm not here. bartender would come online and say, he's not here. Click. Wow. My obsession just got triggered. Michael was a bar drinker. I didn't see him drink. But every time he had a business meeting, I got triggered. I got triggered. And so my obsession became about controlling him. So cars would fly down the street. I'd get up and check through the Venetian blinds or the mini blinds to see if it was him. And when it wasn't him, I'd get madder and madder and madder and madder and madder. And by the time he got home at 2.30 in the morning, I was a hot mess. So here's what would happen. Because I'm all about a good performance. Actually, I'm coveting one of these banners right here. I think it's just a great, actually, I think it would fit me, because it's so long. And also, it's just fitting for the Academy Award-winning performance that was about to take place in my house. So I'd wait to see, you know, I'd, I'd lay in bed, because at 11 o'clock, you go to bed. So 11 o'clock, that was my, my, my rule, Pauline's perfect plan. I'd lay in bed. And when he wouldn't come home, I'd get mad. 2.30 in the morning, I'd finally hear him come in. And the show is about to begin. I'd lay down with my eyes closed, hands gently folded, looking like the perfect virgin, <laughs> the perfect epitome of womanhood. He would lay down next to me, and if you listened closely, it would be, ladies and gentlemen, the games are about to begin. Because what would happen would be that I would levitate off the bed. And I was the one who picked the argument. It would start with, you said you'd be home at 6.30, maybe 7. What the f- happened? I will let you fill in all the expletives. He'd give some reasoning and I'd say, how many drinks did you have? He'd say, two. (laughs) And I'd say, you are a, fill in the blank, liar. Did you talk to women while you were at the bar? No, he'd say. I'd say, liar. And I'd quiz and quiz and quiz and no matter what answer he gave me, I called him a liar with a lot of terrible language and I'd get up in his face. And as far as I was concerned, since I was taller than him, I really was his higher power. And I'd get up in his face. And I would call him everything but a human being. I'd call him a flippin' drunk, you name it, I called it to him. And then I'd pick up my pillow and I'd walk to the door and I'd say, I'm sleeping downstairs. And I'd stomp down the steps. And then I'd wait because I just knew that he would go to the door, he'd look down the hall at me and he'd say, Pauline, love of my life, desire of my existence. Evil alcohol will never cross my lips again. Please come back to bed. That never happened. So then I'd get mad again. I'd stomp up the steps. By now, he's doing what anybody does, who's had more beer than they can handle. He is farting and belching at the same time and snoring. And ladies and gentlemen, round two is about to begin. I'd get right over his face and I'd revisit all the questions all over again. And just picked the fight. And those fights would go on from when he got home till 5, 5.30 in the morning. There'd be lots of tears, lots of drama, lots of drama. And then I'd get up and give him the silent treatment. Oh, I loved a good silent treatment. You know, you can really refine and work on the looks that you give someone to really put a lot of meaning behind it, to let them know that you think they're the scum of the earth. Yet, if anybody asked me what was going on in my home, guess what I said? Fine. I'm fine. Thank you, I'm fine. How's Mike? He's fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine, fine, fine. At home, it wasn't. Not only am I trying to control his drinking, I'm trying to control his smoking. I'm trying to control his coffee intake. I'm trying to control him when we go to social events. Because when we go to social events and he's lubricated, it might get ugly. So I'm trying to control you all as well. And it isn't just him that's feeling those gifts. I'm trying to control everybody everywhere. I'm the person at the grocery store where the sign says 15 or less items. I'm the person who's counting the items in your cart and I'm telling you that you have 16 items. And I'm pointing to the correct aisle that you should take your groceries to. I'm the person if you litter, I'll come up to you and show you the litter that you left and direct you to the garbage can that you should dispose of it in. And don't check in front of me in line. Oh, no, 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 because I'll get right up in your face. And if I'm behind the wheel of a car and you do something... I will follow you home and get out of my car and confront you." (laughs) One time, I was sitting at an intersection and it said stop, no right turn on red. So I'm sitting in my car jamming to my musicals that I like to listen to, I was probably singing Oklahoma or something, I'm jamming to my musicals waiting for the light to turn green And I noticed the guy behind me is beeping his horn, and he's giving me the signal that I need to turn right. Oh, I thought, well, obviously someone needs some direction. So I flipped the car into park, and I got out, and I framed that sign, just like Vanna frames hers. And you know, then I gave him the look, the look that says, can you not read the sign? And then I got back in the car and felt completely proud of my accomplishments. (laughs) That's how sick I was. (laughs) Any shiny object that passed in front of me became my obsession du jour and can still happen today. Just not a few weeks ago, I was uh, in traffic and I noticed it was moving extremely slowly because of someone in the right lane. Going very slowly. Traffic was a mess. And I thought, my head said, someone needs some direction. (laughs) I will drive up and see what is going on. So I drive, this is a month ago. I drive up and I look over, and the person is texting behind the wheel of their car. I wind down because I conveniently have gizmos that open the window on the opposite side of the car. I push the little button and the window goes down and I smile sweetly and I said, hi. He looked up and gave me the, you know, like, what are you doing? And I said, you're texting and driving and preventing the rest of us from getting where we need to go. And then I pressed my button and the window went back up and off I go. On days when I'm not spiritually fit, on days when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, all bets are off. (laughs) What I've learned in this program is I am never going to do it perfectly. I am grateful that I still have mistakes, that I still do things that make me realize that I need to keep coming back. Because as soon as I don't have those things, I don't think I'd be here. So I'm grateful that those things still happen to me. So anyway, um, life goes on, Uh, he starts a company, it's extremely successful, and when he starts the company, he stops drinking. Hmm, this was a new experience for me. I was used to how to direct him and lead him and guide him when he was drinking, but I didn't know how to manage him when he wasn't drinking. And I remember a few months into the business starting, we were sitting out having a nice dinner one night and I had ordered a glass of wine and I looked across at him and I said, sweetie, maybe you, maybe you ought to have a glass of wine to celebrate. Now I'm certainly not responsible for his alcoholism, but what I know in retrospect was that I was wanting to direct him and I knew how to manage him if he was drinking. Life did not turn out real well in that avenue. He lost the business. The recession hit. Process servers are coming to the house. I'm not answering the phone. I'm filled with shame and guilt. I'm isolating. The only thing, only person that I'm trying to control primarily is him and the rest of y'all. And I'm not I'm feeling pretty miserable. What I do is I go and I see the employee assistance program person in my office. And I sit down with them, and I I tell her everything that's going on. And actually, I did this about once a year. I'd fill up with the crap that was going on, and I'd go into work and just verbally vomit all over her. So I go in one day, and I verbally vomit all over her, and I'll never forget. She reached across, and she grabbed my arm. And wow. That was a pretty cool special effect. Wow. She stroked my arm, and she looked at me, and she said, Pauline, there's a place where you can go to get help. It's called Al-Anon. And here's what my sick head said. I reached across, and I grabbed her other arm, and I started stroking it as well, and I looked right at her, and I said, It seems to me that you've not been listening to me. I'm not the one with the problem. He is. So I was obsessed with what he did, everything that he did, and I let him know it 24-7. I remember one of our arguments one night was about him never being home. And um, I got in his face, you're never home, you're always at those, you know, business meetings, and I know it's a crock of this, and I'm leaving you, and divorce, and all ugly words, And he said two words that if you're an alcoholic, do not ever say these words to someone prior to their getting into Al-Anon. I said to him, you are never home. And he said the magic two words, proven. That's all I needed to hear. I got myself a blank calendar and four colored pens, much like I used in the Zentangle session this afternoon. And I kept track for a month. What time he called and said he was coming home? A different color each time for what time he called, what time he would then appear, and how many times it happened. And I collected data for a month, (laughs) kept track of it, didn't mention it at all, was kind of secretive about it. And I collected this data, and my good housekeeping and cosmopolitan magazines told me, that what I needed to do was make an appointment with him to present the information. So I scheduled an appointment with the other half, and I sat him down. Oh, I wish I had had PowerPoint back then and Excel. I could have made animations and graphs and bar charts. Ah, oh, I wish. But I sat him down and I said, Sweetheart, remember about a month ago when we had the big argument?" about you never being home and you said, prove it. And I said, well, I'd just like to present the data to you. If you'll notice on day one, and I went through the entire month's worth of data, knowing at the end of that, he would look at me and he would say, Pauline, love of my life, desire of my existence, you're right. An evil alcohol will never touch my lips again. What he did was he looked at me and he said, whatever. It was not the response that I wanted. And so instead of me giving up, it always just kicked me into higher gear. You see, my higher power was Dr. Marlena Evans on Days of Our Lives. (laughs) And so I tried to find the soap opera, high drama approach to things. Because I, I loved that drama. I still, oh, I like nothing better to see some drama going on and to spend about 10 minutes marinating on what it should do and how it should go and what needs to play out. Ooh, it just gives me shivers to think about it. <laughs> Special effect now would have been good. <laughs> so uh, we lose everything and we end up in a home in Newport. And he's still driving to the bars about, oh, a 20-minute ride away to drink. And if you've noticed, I've not mentioned anything about a higher power other than soap opera stars, because I didn't have a higher power. I purposefully chose not to have a higher power. We weren't able to get married in the faith that I had been raised in, and so I had a gigantic resentment about it and would freely bash the religion at any opportunity. And I also had, had, was well studied on it so that I could really get people when they would bring up anything about a religion. So I only relied on me. Not a good choice. What I was hoping though was that he would die. And I went out and bought a dress. I bought my funeral dress. My hope was that he would have an accident on our circle freeway. Now, I didn't want him to kill anybody else, but I wanted him to be gone. That's how sick I was in my family disease. I thought that the cure for what was wrong was his being gone. Yet I would tell you that I loved him and that everything was fine, and it wasn't. We weren't a couple married in love. We were two roomies living in the dorm of our home. That's all we were. So uh, my favorite argument with him was to get up in his face and say, you know, I don't have to put up with this crap from you anymore, with a lot of expletives around it. And one night uh, in late, late September, actually, in 1992, I'm laying in bed and it's the same thing. He's called for a business meeting. I'm starting to tie on, you know, just like he's tying on a drunk at the bar, I'm tying on my obsession. I'm getting ready to go, getting ready to meet him when he comes home. And uh, um, uh, something happened to me that was a little bit different. I laid down at 11 o'clock to go to bed And for some reason, I'm laying there in bed, and finally the message made it from my head to my heart. And the message was exactly the same. Pauline, you don't have to put up with this anymore. But the difference was, instead of it being up here, it made it to my heart. When he came home that night, there was no high drama. I waited a couple of days to have conversation with him, and I just sat down and I said, Sweetheart, I love you. I don't know what's wrong, but something has to change. Otherwise, I'm I'm leaving. And I let it go. No silent treatment, no high drama, no reliving it over and over and over, no passive-aggressive little drops of, of guilt in the mix. I just let it go. And he asked me if he could have the number for my EAP. By then, you know, the business was gone and he was sitting at home. I gave him the number for the EAP and he goes off for an alcohol assessment, Hmm, I think. He goes and gets an alcohol assessment and he comes home and announces to me with his little paper in hand that the doctors have announced that he is an alcoholic. And he's showing me this piece of paper much like a five-year-old or a six-year-old would show you their finger painting art that they made in class. Now you would think, after 14 years of telling him that he was a flipping drunk, that I would be thrilled. Instead, what my head said, buddy, I've been telling you you're a drunk for 14 years and now you believe it from somebody else? Who are you? Just who are you? My sarcasm was unleashed and I let him have it. He went off and went to the outpatient treatment center and came home and said that I had to go to family, uh, or family uh, therapy. My little bobble-headed doll got out. I'm like, oh, no way, that is not going to happen. I am not the problem, you are. And then my Oscar-winning performance drama queen side appeared, and she said, oh, Pauline, wait a minute. If you end up on Dr. Phil, you want to make sure that when you look at Dr. Phil and say, I tried everything, that the tear would be able to fall across your cheek. Because you want the audience on Dr. Phil to be on your side. So my motivation to go to family, pra- family therapy had nothing to do with him. It was what the world was going to think of me. So I went into that family therapy group that night, and I did not like a single person that was sitting there. (laughs) I went in with a lousy attitude. And by the end of the meeting, it had completely changed. Because I think for me, I had a higher powers intervention when I sat in that family therapy meeting. I think what happened for me, was I was able to listen for the similarities instead of the differences. For my life, I'd listened I'd listened for the differences. You were better than me because you had this, that, or the other thing, or you were better than me because you had children, or you were better than me because you had a different education. I sat there and I listened with my heart. And I understood, once I got into the program, that sentence in the closing that says, Although you may not like us, you'll love us in a very special way." By the end of that meeting, I loved them in a very special way. And on the way home in the car, I was crying uncontrollably. And he looked at me and he said, Why are you crying? And I looked at him and I said, I didn't realize how crazy I had become. Because in my own insular world, I thought that my behavior, everything that I had done was justified, rationalized, that's what a good wife is supposed to do. I had it all figured out and it just hadn't worked for me. At one one level, I was grateful that I found it and on the other hand, I was so afraid of what was going to happen now that I knew the playing field had been leveled. I knew that I was sick. They suggested that I go to Al-Anon. Well, the bobble-headed doll came back out. (laughs) Go to Al-Anon? You've got me in this family session two nights a week. After all, I have a very busy life trying to keep track of him. But they said, you can't stay here unless you go to Al-Anon. So I walked into my first Al-Anon meeting. And something happened that totally, totally angered me. The room was shaped in a U, and in the back of that U were three women laughing. Laughing, of all things, when I walked into the meeting. Here's what my head said. The first piece of my head said, Dang, those women are laughing, and there is absolutely nothing funny about this disease. And the other piece of me said, Dang, those women are laughing. I want to be able to laugh again." So I sat in that meeting and I listened. To, I can't tell you what they said, but what I do know is that I felt a little bit better. And so I started going to al He was busy doing his 90 meetings in 90 days, and I thought, <laughs> if you're going to be on Dr. Phil Pauline, you'd better do the deal. So if he can do 90 and 90, I can do 90 and 90 as well. So off I go to meetings. I remember the first meeting that I went to on step four. Uh, The lady who experienced this is still in in AA. At that time she was in Al-Anon and they did a meeting on step four. And being, you know, my head, this was in the first month of being in the program, I'm listening to her share about what's going on with her Step 4, and after the meeting, I go up to her and I say, so-and-so, I understand you're working on your Step 4, and I'd be happy to offer you some input on your inventory. (laughs) That's just how self-righteous I was, and I was proud of it. Thank you very much. I thought the 12 steps needed to be rewritten, take all that God step out. The whole way the program was set up was not efficient. What they needed was some channeling, some directing, the right words said at the right time with the right emotion to make them see the light. I just needed to wait because, you know, timing is really important. And slowly but surely, my self-righteousness started to disappear. I began to see how Al-Anon really worked. I remember that first year that we were in recovery, we had a Christmas party. And uh, um, I was upstairs and I came downstairs, we were getting ready for the party, it was for my family. And Mike was pouring bourbon into a decanter. And I remember I went down those steps and I came around the corner and I saw him pouring that bourbon into the decanter and here's what my head said. He's pouring the bourbon in the decanter. The next thing he's gonna do is lift the bottle. He's gonna drink it. Then Pauline, you're gonna lose this house. You're gonna lose all the cars. You're gonna have the sheriff back at your house and your life is slowly going to go down the toilet one more time. Because at that very moment, when I turned the corner and saw him, I got filled with fear. Just scared. I had that feeling that I needed to do something. That's how I had ruled my life. I had done everything based on my feelings. And lo and behold, there was a little miracle because I remembered what I had heard in Al-Anon. Let go, Pauline. Wasn't so much about the let God stuff, but I got the let go stuff. And so I went back upstairs and I peed. (laughs) I sat in the bathroom and was like, higher power, I may not believe in you, but this is a moment where I could use some serenity in my life. And I saw how the program of Al-Anon can work for me. And that gave me just a little bit of hope. So I went to Al-Anon meetings, and um, he worked on his program. And uh, gosh, my letting go was, was and continues to be a challenge. Now, I know you don't see it, but in me is an octopus. This is the way I like to think of letting go. And I have many, many tendrils that stick out of me. And when something happens, those tendrils wrap around you. My head starts to try to figure you out and what I'm gonna say. It is the program of Al-Anon that helps those uncircle and unwind and let you go. On days when I'm not spiritually fit, it's gonna squeeze a little tight and I'm gonna get up in your face. Or I'm gonna stop you while you're texting in your car. That's just the way it is for me. I just am still a work in progress. I began working on the steps with my sponsor. And the step that that I think stymied me for a while was step three. Made a decision to turn my will and my life over to a care of a higher power. Now I had discovered what that higher power was by sitting in rooms with you. I heard you share about what your higher power was like, and that your higher power had a sense of humor, and that your higher power was loving and kind. And I relished that freedom to design my own higher power that would work for me. But step three says, "Mm, give it all up and let your higher power be in charge. Yeah, but my higher power might not give me what I want. Oh, step three today for me is still about whether I believe my higher power is everything or nothing, and am I willing to take the actions that support that belief? Some days I do, and some days I don't. I'm just not that well yet. We continue in the program, and and I work on my steps. I get to step Step six. And I was really afraid of step six. I had been in the program for a while then and I saw these people in the program that um, were very calm and quiet and serene. I'm A-type, I'm out there, I'm a people person. I don't want to turn into an al zombie. That's the way I thought of them. And I thought, what is step six going to do? How will my higher power handle that? Well, my higher power has handled it just fine. The type A in me is still there. The people person is still there. The laughter is still there. But my higher power has enabled me to move those character defects on days when I'm spiritually fit over to a place where they become assets in my life. It's just a matter of degrees for me. And so once I got through step three and step six, I was able to work the rest of the steps. But those two were the two that, that kind of bugged me, that were hard for me to deal with. On the road to recovery, um, I've had bumps and I've had places of sheer joy. Um, I remember one time we were, um, my work had arranged it. My work schedule was messed up and I was doing something from 3.30 until midnight. So I wouldn't get home until like 1 o'clock in the morning. And uh, my meeting schedule was messed up. So with sleeping and then having to go into work, I didn't go to meetings. And we end up at a big box bookstore. And I'm in the feng shui section of the bookstore, (laughs) looking through the books because I'm too cheap to buy it. And I'm looking through on how to make my home peaceful and serene. I notice a lady across the way going through the calendars in a little carton. The calendars fall on the floor and she leaves the scene of the crime. (laughs) I dog ear my book, close the book up, lay it on the counter so that I could return to it. I go and I stalk the woman in the store. I go up to her and I raise myself up to all six foot one. You have to use that which you've been given. I look down at her and I smile sweetly and I say, ma'am, You tossed the carton of calendars on the floor back there in the feng shui section. If you'd like to return with me, I'll help you clean up your mess. (laughs) She follows right behind me. We get to the calendars. I stoop down, and I start to put the calendars in the box, and I I notice that she's just standing there watching me. (laughs) And my head says what she needs is a good dose of guilt, Pauline. You know what to say. So I looked at her and I said, ma'am, you dumped this carton of calendars on the floor. If we would all take responsibility for our actions, wouldn't the world be a better place? (laughs) And then she stooped down and started putting the calendars in the box. I finished helping her. I went back to the Feng Shui section I opened the book exactly where I was and then I had a moment of clarity and my head said, Pauline, who died and made you the goddess of the bookstore? Who died and made it so that you had to confront that woman about an accident? So I go off racing through the store, and I'm looking for the woman again to make amends. And my husband says, what are you doing? And I said, I need to make amends. And I said, let's go to Walmart. I'm going to be a greeter. And he said, they already have them. I said, I don't care. I need to be nice to somebody. That's just how my program goes. Um, in 19, um, or in the 2000s, both of our moms were sick at the same time, <clears throat> and uh, they both passed away in the same year. And that year was a, a bumpy year for us, but it was a year where I saw higher power work in my life in a variety of ways. Um, when Mike's mom passed away, um, I got to do some things that I didn't get to do as a woman. I wasn't able to have children. And that hurt my heart. I wanted to have children so desperately and we tried, did, infer- or did fertility stuff for six plus years and, and just never got, had one miscarriage but never got pregnant again. And gosh, uh, I was just so sad that I wasn't able to be that kind of person and I didn't think that I had it in me to be nurturing at all. And two things happened within that time period. One is a friend of the program needed a birthing coach, and she asked me. And I got to be there when she had a baby, so I got to see that and at least experience it close hand, as close as I could get. And then his mom was in a nursing facility, and I'm the only girl in um, in the family, and I got to nurture her. I got to comb her hair. I got to rub her with lotion. I got to hold her. And on the day she passed away, she passed away on my watch. And I was so grateful that someone that I loved so much honored me with transitioning while I was there with her. On Thanksgiving that same year, Thanksgiving Eve, uh, my mom was in hospice and she took a turn for the worse. My family uh, had all rallied around her and um, the doctor said, you know, go on home because uh, she'll last another day at least. And so I stayed and watched and then one of my siblings spelled me and I went home and I'm laying in bed. Uh, Mike had tucked me in and put me to sleep and um, the phone rang and I picked up the phone and uh, A voice on the phone said, um, hi, I'd like to check to see if you would come and talk for us this weekend. Someone canceled. Will you come and talk for us? And I said, I'm I'm sorry. I I can't do it this weekend. And I started tearing up. I said, my mom is in hospice, and the doctors think she's going to pass away today. And this man, whom I've never met from Atlanta, Georgia, said, huh, my mother-in-law is in hospice care and she's set to pass away too. Want to talk? My higher power put in front of me exactly who I needed to talk to at the time that I needed to talk with someone. My higher power is awesome. My higher power puts people in front of me to give me hugs when I'm not well and hugs when I'm well. My higher power puts people in front of me who teach me lessons. My higher power puts people in my life that give me gratitude. My higher power puts people in my life that make me laugh and people that make me cry. And my, pe- my higher power puts people in my life to help me exactly when I need it, if I'm willing to be open to the possibility. So that man and I shared the language of the heart for 45 minutes. And I cannot tell you how much that touched me, that he spent that time to talk with me. So my family got together for Thanksgiving and uh, my husband volunteered to sit with my mom and my mom passed away while he was reading the big book to her. Now my mom eventually grew to love him, but it was a long, long process. And because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and his working his program, that relationship healed, healed enough that she was willing to transition while he was on watch. What an awesome higher power to give each of us those sort of gifts. A few years after that, I lost my job, got laid off. And boy, that can be a depressing thing, you know? What are you gonna do, sit around? Lord, I didn't like that at all. Someone gave me a rock that said believe. And I think my program, if I'm really living the third step, My program is about my putting into action the belief that my higher power is everything. I kept that rock on my kitchen table, and every morning I'd get up, I'd have my cup of tea, do my reading, prayer, and meditation, look at my belief rock, take the actions to get a job, and then I went out and enjoyed life. I took walks with Alan on friends, I went to lunch when I could afford it, I sat outside on my deck, I read books, I biked, I enjoyed life. And then my higher power gave me three job offers in the same day. (laughs) So I started working and while I was working, I get a call one day from the other half. He calls me up and he says, "Uh, honey, um, I think I'm having a heart attack. I'm driving myself to the hospital. (laughs) Well, that was an unusual call to get. I put the phone down and I race to the hospital and I'm sitting out in the waiting room and they bring me back and we you know, give him a kiss and tell him he's gonna be everything okay. You know, the nurses are coaching me and they send me to another hospital and I'm sitting there in the other hospital and the nurse comes out and she says, Okay, it's gonna be one of three things. He's either gonna die, he's gonna to have to get this kind of surgery or that kind of surgery, a stint. And I'm like, okay, 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 okay. And she leaves, and I'm sitting there by myself, and I get consumed with fear. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's, he's, this, is, this is serious stuff. This is Pauline. This is, this is serious stuff. And, and I'm, I'm so filled with anxiety, I, I don't know what to do. And I'm starting to cry. And a woman comes out, and she sits down across from me, and she says, um, I remember you... And I'm thinking, God, not now. Not now. This is a legitimate one. I am not channeling Marlena Evans. This is serious stuff. I get to have this fear, higher power. This is good. And she says, you know, don't you remember me from Friday night? And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus. As we heard last night, Jesus, Mary, Joseph. I'm thinking, Jesus, Mary, Joseph. I have to do this now. Right now, higher power, while I'm in the midst of all this fear, you want me to be of service. Well, how about that? And I'm copping a big old attitude, and I am trying to put this woman off. And she is persistent. (laughs) She says, remember, I sat with so-and-so, and I cried all the time, and you always brought me tissues and gave me a hug. I remember you from about eight years ago. And finally I thought, higher power, I get it. What you're telling me, higher power, is that you've got Mike. You've got him. All you need to do, Pauline, is to be of service to someone else right now in this moment. Let go. Let me have it. Oh, I heard that message, and I got to tell you, there was a side of me that went, I really want to sit in this fear. You know, that anxiety, the adrenaline, and I thought, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. What I really want is peace and serenity, so that if decisions need to be made, I can make better decisions. For years, I made decisions based on feeling. He'd tick me off, or you'd tick me off, I'd get angry, and I'd react. I'm a nuclear reactor. I know how to react. Responding is is an art to me. Am I willing to take the time in this moment that my higher power has given me to look at this situation and go, higher power, I get it? I'm grateful that you have this under control and I can be of service and reach my hand across and shake her hand and say, yes, I remember you. How are you doing? And I had that kind of conversation with her and let the medical people take care of him. So. He made it through his his heart issue and uh, we went on our merry way. He retired and then this year I got the gift of retirement and now we're together (laughs) 24-7. Let the games begin. So he's my retirement sponsor. He shows me how to do retirement. So what I committed to was that the first six weeks of retirement, I would not make a to-do list. I love to-do lists. Sometimes I like to make the little check boxes even so I can check it off. It just feels so important to check it off instead of scratching it out. So no to-do list. I detoxed for six weeks. I've been a working stiff for a long time. Detoxed for six weeks. And now I make little memory lists, you know, like remember to send the birthday card or remember to send the bill, but no to-do list that's gonna take from now till the next century to complete. He has taught me that we take Fridays off. I thought you were always off in retirement, but we take Fridays off. We have a play day. We, we are playmates to each other. We both feed on each other's sense of humor. And that's another gift that recovery has given me, is the gift of laughter. You know, I, I gave a talk once and somebody came up to me afterwards and they said, you know what, you, you just laugh too much. And I said, uh, you know what, I don't laugh enough. I spent so, I, I thought this, I didn't say this. I spent so many years in anger and sarcasm and meanness and unkindness, that to be able to sit and laugh and celebrate the joy of life and to see kindness and to experience kindness and to be grateful, if all of that bubbles up into my being happy, joyous, and free, then that's what I am. And I'm grateful for every minute that I get to be joyful. An important part of my recovery has been service work. Um, I started as an alternate GR, and I have done area work and district work, and gosh, I have a home group now. If you're ever in northern Kentucky, my home group is the New Beginnings group that meets on Wednesday night, and I am a greeter. I believe in service rotation, however, my group believes that I am the best greeter that the group has ever had, and so people will help me. But I am like the honorary greeter, so I get to give hugs and welcome people every Wednesday night. I have three foster home groups, and I do service work at some level in all four groups that I go to. So I go to meetings on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday, and that's what keeps me even. Service work has been the way that I've practiced things and then enabled me to bring them home. You know, there's nothing like sitting in a district meeting or an area meeting and having an impassioned discussion and seeing everybody hug each other at the end and then go home and have a discussion with the other half and do the same thing. You know, sometimes when we've had to have challenging conversations, we've even had to hold hands and pray, the serenity prayer, before we have a difficult discussion. That was totally new behavior and I learned that in the rooms of Al-Anon because that's what happens in my group conscience and in my district meetings and in my area meetings. I became an Alateen sponsor. Three cheers for the Alateen sponsors here. I did Alateen sponsorship for many years and learned more than I can even imagine from the children because I didn't have that experience and those kids opened me up to new ways to look at the program. service. Provides an opportunity for me To experience the program in new ways What I want to do Is make sure I'm sitting in the middle of Al-Anon I've seen people And I bet you have too They come in and they go And they kind of do the the Outside of the program They're, they're not willing to get in the middle of it And I think Rich talked about it this morning I want to sit in the middle of Al-Anon Because that's where recovery is for me I want to I want to belong. I don't want to be just a member. I want to belong to the program. I want to do things that make me a mem- an active and contributing member to the program. Um, I know I'm forgetting something and about two o'clock this morning it will bubble up in my head. Um, let's see. What I, th- I know there is. I'm sure the other half could get up here and tell you what I'm forgetting. Um, But I think last but not least, what I'll do is is, um, remind you and remind me of the gifts that this program has given me. I am blessed beyond measure with the gifts that this program has given me. The love that I feel when I walk into the rooms and the love that I am able to freely give. The gratitude that I get when I hear something in a meeting or come here to Missouri or in Illinois, wherever I am, and hear something. (laughs) She said that Missouri was where we met, and, and I hear something, and it's the same thing, but it's said with a totally different voice, and I go, oh, my God, that's the most profound thing I've ever heard. I like to mix up my recovery. I like to go, now that I'm retired, I like to go to some different meetings because then I get to hear things fresh and new, And I go, wow, it's an awesome, awesome program with an awesome higher power that loves me today and loves you as well. Thank you.